0: Hi, welcome back. This is the fifth episode of the third series of Three Worlds, the Shamanism podcast. So I'm going to continue talking about divination this time. Last time kind of introduced it a bit and looked at some of the methods and I'm going to do some more methods this time. We're going to look at Marla prayer beads and mirrors and various other things. I shall just ramble on and see where I end up. So, okay, let's start with prayer beads. Malas. Tenga in Tibetan. Mala is Sanskrit. Prayer beads are used in Buddhism, but they're also an important part of shamanism, uh, you know, sort of Mongolian shamanism, and very often shamans will wear them as sort of power beads. Yo, man, power beads. Yeah, bling. (laughs) <laughs> um the uh, the you know, you wear them around your neck and whatever the, the shamans do. Buddhists obviously say mantras on them and um they become an important and empowered uh kind of uh part of, of, of Buddhists' kit. Um and they're used for divination. Now um prayer beads generally have a hundred and eight beads on. Not always uh, but very often, mostly 108, uh, and that's that's kind of like a full mala. and um, some some will have 54 and some will have 27. 27 is a quarter of 108, and 54 is half of 108. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into the sort of number symbolism, but there is a fair amount of symbolism around malas too, in that respect. But uh, so 108 beads. And the way that uh, a mala is read is that you will, again, almost invariably say some mantras. Um, Manjishri is uh, a popular being to do the mantra for, as is Green Tara, as would be Chenrezig. These are all Buddhist beings, Tibetan beings um and i've mentioned those 3 because with a lot of tibetan beings you're supposed to have empowerments kind of have the initiation in order to do their practice but those 3 are sort of said to be willing to come to the aid of anybody even if they're kind of not a buddhist as it were so you can call upon them without an empowerment it's better to have an empowerment but you can call upon them without manjishri is uh a Buddhisattva of wisdom. So he's particularly kind of good to to call upon. Um yeah, so yeah, you know, I mean it's, obviously you don't need to do this, but if it so appeals, you can kind of fairly easily get the mantras of each of those beings, Manjishri, Green Tara, Chenrezi. Just Google them and you will find those mantras. Um But you would call upon the spirit of something anyway in in, in a divination method. But as a Buddhist, you know, you tend to do a few mantras. Maybe you do the full 108. And then you would grab hold of the mala. And with your eyes closed, you would kind of think about the question. And really sort of sit with it. Work out what it was that you were asking. And then with both hands, you would kind of grab the mala with no beads between your hands so it's like with both hands you grab the same space between beads anywhere on the mala with your eyes closed and then keeping the one hand still you move the other hand down three beads and three beads and three beads and three beads beads until you get back to the beginning of the mala the mala Every mala has a beginning point, which is a large bead, called, generally called a guru bead. And so you work your way back until you get to the kind of guru bead. And what you do is when there are only three beads left or two beads left or one bead left before you get to the guru bead, that is when you stop. So those one, two or three beads give you an indication of the divination. Now, one bead is called a falcon and two beads are called a raven and three beads are called a snow lion. Now, if you've only got one bead, a falcon, that's considered to be a positive sign. If you've got two beads, a raven, that's considered to be a negative sign. And if you've got three beads, a snow lion, then it's kind of middling. It's kind of not too bad, not too good. So you ask your question and the very simplest form of divination is simply to do it with just one time. So you ask your question, you join both hands at a gap somewhere in the mala and you go round until you have either one bead, two beads or three beads left and that gives you a kind of vague indication as to whether the the question is positive or whether the answer is positive rather. Um, and there's different ways of doing it. Some of the ways of using a mala are quite complicated and you have to do this a number of times. And the combination of whether you get sort of like um, one falcon followed by two snow lions, you know, is different to kind of one raven next to a, a snow lion next to a falcon. It's, it, it varies enormously depending on the different methods of doing it. The very simplest uses just the one uh, and uh, and then there's another very simple one of using just two. You do the mala twice and so you would get, for instance, the, a falcon on the first time and a raven on the second or a snow lion on the first and a falcon on the second. Um, that, uh, that That's fairly simple and fairly quick and you'll find that Tibetans will invariably do this for for lots of different reasons, because they often will carry a mala with them. So it's very easy for them to very quickly just kind of check in with it. And uh, I don't use it enormously, but I do do one of the more complicated ones sometimes, because I think it's quite a useful method of divination. And especially if you've got a relationship with a mala. I mean, I use my malas a lot because I do practice each day with them. Um, and the one mala has done many hundreds of thousands of mantras on it so it's kind of become an empowered ritual object for me and so it's kind of awake it's kind of got a a certain presence a certain hum if you like and so to do a a mala practice on that and a divination on that is is kind of good because you're kind of within the energy body of the actual ritual item and so it's kind of got a spark to it yeah it's got a kind of presence and you've built a relationship with it but of course you don't need to do that necessarily i mean you can just have a mala that you just simply use for divination there's no harm in that um but it just depends on kind of the way you work and the way you are very simple way of working but kind of quite good and especially if you do it once and you just kind of get the raven or the falcon or the snow lion uh, at that point you know just for a simple kind of yes no maybe kind of answer that's fine it's always good to make prayers first it's always good to call upon the spirits to help you whether you call upon a buddhist spirit or or your own spirit helpers or whatever kind of being within the envelope of the sacred is the best way of doing a divination so another way of working doing divination is to use coins. Again, this was done in Tibet and well, it's done just about everywhere. Isn't it really? I mean, even we toss a coin to decide something. Um, so uh, Tibetan, it's used, like I say, uh, there's a nice Mongolian one, which uh, uses nine coins. And I have a Tibetan one, which uses 12 coins. And the Mongolian one is very simple uh, it's uh, You start off with a stack of coins and um, you decide which is heads and tails now on on western coins that 's pretty easy on uh, Chinese coins, which are generally used in Mongolia, especially old Manchu coins. Um, There isn't a head and a tail in the normal sense of the scheme of things. There's Chinese writing on the one side and Manchu, Manchurian writing on the other side. Uh, I always use the squeakly sort of Manchurian writing as the tails and the Chinese writing as the heads. But basically what you do is you, again, you do your practice, you think about the question, you ask the spirits to be with you, you put the coins in your hand, you shake them, you blow on them, breathe on them, and then you make a tidy pile and you see what the first coin is. Maybe it's a head, maybe it's a tail, and then you take that off and you see what the next coin is. And the next coin, and the next coin, and you do it until it changes. So, if the first coin is a tail, and the second coin is a head, then the divination is one tail. If it's uh, a tail, and the next coin is a tail, and the next coin is a tail, and the next coin is a tail, then I've lost count. Is that three? It's three. <laughs> it's three tails. And you know, if the next one is a head, so you do it until it keeps going until it changes you do it until it changes it was four tails wasn't it (laughs) all right Um, so basically the divination is set down and uh, so there will be a meaning for one tail and two tails and three tails and four tails and five and six and seven and eight and nine because eventually it would be possible to have nine tails in a row and the same would be for heads so there's a meaning for one head and two head and three head and four head and all the way up to nine heads and these are set meanings so you like I say you do it until the flow of heads or tails changes very simple easy done and can be done with any coin from anywhere in the world so long as it's got two different faces very often, in Mongolia, a set of coins would be kept aside It's always good if you're using mundane things, I think to have them a set that's set aside so that you only use them for divination. so you would get old sets, and in fact, i've got an old. Shaman's set of nine coins and they've been worn kind of smooth you can almost not make them out Um, they're very kind of polished you know the 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 heads and the tails are very kind of worn away um, because they've been used so much and that's rather lovely I, I kind of like I said in the last podcast I kind of like old slightly dirty and corroded things that's just me um so uh but i think you know they got they got a kind of uh a a poetry to them uh a a romance i'm an old romantic at heart you know i kind of like these old things because it's like they've been used and they got they got love put into them they got practice put into them my uh my tibetan bell and dorje which i use um my bell and dorje they date back possibly even to the 15th century. They're very old and uh, they're, they're from Mongolia and the, the bell handle is all worn away. The, the markings on the bell handle that you hold is all worn away because centuries of people have practised and used it and it, you know, held it and the fingers have worn it away. I love that. you know That excites me. It's like people doing ceremony, so much so that it's worn the metal away. And the same with those coins. Yeah, I can't help it. I'm an unrepentant old romantic. You know, I said last time that you can do a divination with just about anything, so long as there's a randomness to it. This is a fairly obscure one that maybe you could try if you wanted to. Um, It's a dough ball divination from Tibet, and it's used when you have to choose between different things. So each of the different things, the names of them, like names of a person or names of an object or whatever it is, you write them down and you put them on a piece of paper and you put that piece of paper inside a ball of dough. And each ball of dough is very carefully made to be exactly the same size and exactly the same weight. And you put them all in a bowl And then the tradition is that there would be lots of ceremonies done and it would take a long time, because this this was very much a monastic tradition. And so it became quite a big thing. And um, this bowl sort of sits on an altar for a number of days while ceremonies are done. And then a lama that kind of hasn't been in on the process comes in, gives the bowl a bit of a shake and reaches in and grabs one of the balls and that is the answer you know they open it up they read the bit of paper so uh, it's a bit like a fortune cookie i guess i've never been in a chinese restaurant that's given me a fortune cookie i don't think um but uh oh maybe i've got a vague recollection of one maybe maybe long time ago or another life who knows um but it's the same kind of thing really it's it's very much from that kind of tradition Another tradition from Tibet that is kind of a bit similar is that the answers are written on sticks that look a little bit like lollipop sticks. Um, You know, uh, in... uh, I don't know what they're called in other places in the world, but in Britain they're called ice lollies. And, uh, you know, they're kind of frozen, sweet, sticky, watery things on sticks, and you have flat sticks. And... um, You have uh, lots of sticks like that which one of them will have an answer on or they will all have different answers on and they're put into a kind of bowl and uh, again lots of ceremonies and things would be done and the, the bowl, it's more like a vase in fact, would be kind of rotated and sort of shaken in such a way that one stick would fly out and that would be the answer. So anything that is kind of random. Different traditions around the world have all kind of created different ways of doing it. We are so inventive, like I said last time. I always marvel at the inventiveness of humans. We're extraordinary. In lots of good ways and lots of not good ways too. So let's let's talk a bit about mirrors. Because this is, I guess, probably... In many ways, the the deepest divination method that I use when I really need to kind of check in on something in a serious way. Again, I use this method quite a lot um, for diagnostic work with people. Um, Sometimes... I don't want to do a shamanic journey to kind of go and ask the spirits or it doesn't feel appropriate and so a mirror divination is very often what I will turn to because it gives me a lot more information than shaking dice or doing a marla or something like that because for me it shows me what's happening and I get a real clear insight. So I do this on a fairly regular basis and it's an important kind of form of divination for me. Now I use bronze shaman's mirrors quite a lot and as I podcasts it's difficult for me to talk explicitly about them because the traditions are kind of secret and you're supposed to receive them kind of when you're ready and I've been instructed and asked not to kind of give out the teachings in too much of an open way. But I think this one is kind of okay to give out because uh, it's fairly self-evident, and it kind of occurs in the West anyway. You know, we have the the idea of scrying, um, and really this is pretty much along those lines, but it uses a bronze shaman's mirror. Now, bronze mirrors are often not very shiny. Some are very shiny, but some are not very shiny, especially the old ones. And in a way, you need one that is not too shiny. So it's got a bit of a sheen and it's got little blemishes and it's kind of not perfect. I think it would be quite difficult to do it on a glass, perfect, absolutely reflective kind of mirror. For me, it works much better on certain mirrors. And, you know, I have bronze mirrors that I keep just for this process because they're kind of nicely blemished. And they have a whole sort of set of different kind of things within them that I can see, you know, which are physical. And yet they also have a reflective quality, too. So uh, that for me is the ideal. And a mirror should be worked with first and foremost before you do it. And you have to kind of work with a mirror to kind of bond with it. And I guess if I just say that, then maybe those of you that are savvy enough will kind of know what to do. Uh, But you, you have a mirror that you have a relationship with. And so you've built up a rapport with this mirror. You've built up a rapport and you can then kind of go to it because you have this bond. It's a kind of workmate with you or a playmate. It is very much a relationship with the spirit of the mirror and your own spirit so once you've kind of got that and you haven't just kind of like grabbed a mirror and started because well maybe that would work but i don't think it would be as good so you've got your mirror you've got a relationship with it and again like all of these things you would smudge you would make offerings potentially to the spirits on your altar you would do this you would approach this in a ceremonial way in a sacred manner And you sit, well this is what I do, I sit with the mirror, and I sit with the mirror in a room that is not too bright, but not too dark, and I hold the mirror very, very close to my face. I wear glasses, I'm short-sighted, so I take my glasses off, I hold the mirror very close to my face, and I cup the mirror with my hands, so not a lot of light kind of falls on it so it's sort of gloomy in there but there's a little bit of light coming and I call my spirits to me and I sit with this and I sing I then I start to sing and I will sing an improvised spirit song which is how I do an awful lot of my practice anyway I'm always singing in practice and I gaze into the mirror with the question in mind and I sing and I'm asking all the time, I'm kind of beseeching the spirits to help me. Help me, help me, help me. Please, sacred ones, please help me. And that's, that's kind of my song, even though my song isn't in English. My song would be in spirit language, but that's, that's, you know, if there were subtitles to the song, that's what the song is about. It's always about asking the spirits for help. So I sit there and I gaze into the mirror and because it's so close to me, I'm kind of literally resting my nose on it pretty much. Then all of the blemishes in the mirror are blurred and there's just a little bit of light kind of coming in around the edge and maybe sometimes I'll move my fingers a little bit more so the light will change. And and I go into a trance with it. You've got to kind of put yourself into an altered state. And you're asking the question and you're asking the question. And the blemishes in the mirror, they start to become answers. They start to become like maybe I'm asking about a person and I'm asking about what's affecting this person. And then maybe I'll start to notice that one of the blemishes looks like an arrowhead that's shooting into the person. That, that, I'm saying about one that actually happened here so it's like I, I realize after a while it's like the penny drops that, that there is something intruding into this person There is in this case an actual kind of spirit bow and arrow somebody was shooting at them kind of energetic arrows and so you gradually kind of begin to work it out but you don't think about it you're not concocting it in your head you are making your mind go blank. You're looking at the picture that is revealed in the in the mirror, in what you're seeing. And you don't think, now what does this mean? Oh, that must be such and such. No, you don't do that. You just sit and you sing and you keep your head absolutely out of the way. You are blank. You are blank. And then there will be a knowing. And it's the knowings that you take notice of. A knowing will arise. It's like It's like... It's like bubbling up in a lake. That kind of bubble of awareness, that bubble of knowing will rise in you. And that is the answer that you pay attention to. It's like the penny drops, you know, and you suddenly, without a shadow of a doubt, know something. If you are concocting it, if you are thinking, well, I think it could be such and such, that is your head getting in the way. So you have to get your head out the way. That's why you kind of do the singing. So it, it's, it's part of a process of meditation. Whatever stills your mind, whatever stops you thinking. And for me, that that is a really great way of working. And I do that a lot. But it's not the only way. And I'll, I'll say a little Tibetan way now. I've never tried this. This is theoretical. Um, but I don't doubt that it would work. And it's kind of similar in some respects but the the thing with this one is that you set up a mirror in um Tibetan mirrors tend to be a little bit different they're a bit thinner than the Mongolian mirrors and they don't have the the sort of uh, like the lug at the back where you attach a cord they're more like thin sheets of metal and they often have a uh, like a ring at the top where you suspend a cord and so they and they're called melong rather than tolly. so you get a melong Um, I guess, to be honest, a tolly would work perfectly well, but a milong is perhaps a little bit easier. And you put it in a bowl of rice on an altar. And again, you do lots of practice around it. You would invoke all the spirits. You would do lots and lots of Buddhist meditation. And you would very much ask the spirits about the question. And after a lot of ceremony, a lot of practice... You would then invite in to the room a child. Generally, it has to be a virgin, so that's where you go for a child. It can be a boy or a girl under the age of puberty. They say that at puberty, these sort of skills that children have vanish, so the child has to have not entered puberty. And you get them, and they do not know what you're asking. They do not know the question and they come and they sit in front of the mirror and they in effect do what I was just describing I do. But they don't sing, they just sit and they look into the mirror and they tell you what they see and you write it down. And that then forms the basis of the divination. Now this is incredibly ritualistic. There has to be specific things on the altar. There has to be a ritual arrow. There has to be all the sort of offerings to the spirits and laid out in a certain way and bells and dorges and various bits and pieces. The child has to come in and they sit on a cushion that has a swastika. Uh, Swastika is a very important symbol in Buddhism and in Siberian and Mongolian shamanism uh young drum is its tibetan word so the 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 cushion has a swastika on it and the child has to be dressed in clean clothes you know preferably new clothes and they sit on the swastika cushion and the whole thing is incredibly ritualistic because you're invoking a particular deity to come and help with the divination and so it all has to be perfect and it's very elaborate um Yeah, I've never done it. Might be a really good way of doing it, but I think I'll stick to mine because it's a lot simpler. And I don't have to be a virgin and I don't have to sit on a special cushion. Although I do have a special cushion, but it's not a swastika cushion. I've got a tiger cushion, but that's a whole other podcast. I think we're probably cooked. I hope you do some divination. I hope this has kind of inspired you to do some bits and pieces. It would be good if you did. So remember, if you're interested, you can grab a copy of my book, which is, uh, I ought to give the price, oughtn't I? Oh dear, I can't remember it. $18.95, I think. $18.95. That's about £15, thereabouts. Um, And you can get it from bit.ly forward slash book of revealing. That's bit.ly forward slash book of revealing all one word all lowercase book of revealing and uh, come and say hello in the three worlds facebook group three worlds shamanism facebook group it's a great place and you'll get lots of kind of good people to talk to and interesting questions and people posting videos and Little tidbits of information. It's a good place to hang out. Come and say hello. Sacred Hoop magazine is sacredhoop.org forward slash offer dot html or sacredhoop.org forward slash sample dot html to get yourself a sample copy. All lowercase again. And uh, the Three Worlds podcast website where there's all the ritual objects and things to download, you know, there's there's articles and all sorts of bits and pieces and lots of ritual objects to look at. That's number three threeworlds.co.uk. You can see me rambling on about different things on my YouTube channel, which is Three World Shamanism. And if you would like to support the podcast by making a donation via PayPal, you can do that at the email address of donation at sacredhoop.org Thank you very much for listening once again. I really appreciate it. And uh, come back next time and we'll talk about something else. bye bye